Well, who were your heroes when you were growing up? Who were those people that you aspired to be like? Who were those people that you pretended to be? Who were those posters of that you had on your bedroom walls? Well, I go way back as a kid. I, I, I pretended I was a Cowboys and Indians. I mean, that was just what, you know, I had a tobacco stick with a grass string around one end of it, and that was my horse, and he'd take me anywhere I needed to go. And I, I, I loved the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Can I get a witness, anybody, on the Lone Ranger and Tonto? Now, I, 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 lived, I, I didn't live close to anybody. I lived out in the country. I'm an only child. didn't have brothers and sisters to play with. So when it came to Lone Ranger, you know, I had to be like this. Now, Tonto, we've got to get to town before the bank robbers do. Um, Kimasabi me ride like the wind. <laughs> See, I, I had to play both parts because it, it was just me. But, you know, I, I, learned, I learned to adapt. I, I did. I learned to adapt. Aspiring to be like someone is just natural. Somehow or another, we kind of feel a little bit inadequate in who we are. But... Who we aspire to be uh, can either be positive or negative depending on whether you're the parent or the child. You know, parents have a different idea of who you ought to be like than who children think they ought to be like. By the way, did anyone ever encourage you to be like Jesus? Did anybody ever tell you, you know, you really ought to just act like Jesus? You ought to be like Jesus. Uh, the amazing truth in that is that that is exactly why we were created. We were created to be and become like Jesus. Now today we're continuing our series on what now. We've been looking at it for several weeks now and we'll soon be through this series. We'll be on to something new. But this series is very important uh, in the life of the church as we look at that early church. That church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, that first, that first day on the day of Pentecost when that church just was born and then it began to, to blossom in that community. And in order for us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, and you want to become that church, you want to be that kind of church for God, you want to find out what that kind of church is because you're going to have a new pastor, and so you you got to look at all of that and how all of that fits together because you really want to be your best for God. And so we've been looking at things. We looked at prayer, we looked at worship, we looked at evangelism, and today we're looking at discipleship. Discipleship. The Bible says in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And we looked a little bit at that word doctrine last week when we were talking about evangelism. And evangelism is the good news, uh, sharing the good news of the gospel to the lost. And then we looked at uh, another word, didache, which is teaching. That is the teaching uh, of Jesus uh, that the disciples uh, got from Jesus and then they passed it on uh, to us. Us, and that is what we look at as being discipleship, as to teaching uh, believers how to be like Jesus. And so from what we learn and what we see in Scripture, we conclude that there are first of all teachers, and there is something being taught, 
and there are pupils. And so this basically is what discipleship looks like in the church. You have those who have the knowledge who teach. You have those uh, who are learning. And then you have the material, the teaching, which is the Word of God. And so the something being taught is the truth here. And the lifestyle that these apostles witnessed in the life of Jesus. These twelve were with him for three years. They were close to him. Closest to him were Peter, James, and John, the three of the inner circle. And so these twelve, and then there were no, there were more added to them because they had 120 on the day of Pentecost as, as that day began. But these folks had been with Jesus and they had witnessed the life of Jesus, heard his teaching, and now they were, they were sharing that with the new converts who were coming into the church uh, 3,000 in one day. Can you imagine what that Sunday school director was thinking about as he was trying to get ready uh, and, and tell all of those people what they needed to hear? And then we have to think about what Jesus said Whenever he was talking to the disciples before he ascended into heaven, we call it the Great Commission. Let's stand together. I think we have that uh, up on the screen there. And here's what Jesus said as he came to speak with them. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then he goes on to say we want to baptize them and then we want to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now I want to ask you a question. We've got another scripture coming. But while you're still standing, get, get good and relaxed and settle in for the next hour and a half. And, and as, we're thinking about this, <laughs> as we're thinking about this, I want you to ask you this question. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't answer publicly. Just answer in your heart. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think that looks like? What do you think is the characteristics of being a disciple? In other words, let me ask you this question. Is it possible to be born again and not be his disciple? We have a lot of people who say that they have been saved. But are they all his disciples? We have a lot of people who say they are Christians. <laughs> we've got church Christians. We've got American Christians. We've so diluted the word Christian, we don't even know what it means anymore. But Jesus said, go make disciples. So the question is, this morning to you, are you a disciple? Uh, Paul gives us a little insight to this in Ephesians 4, 21 uh, to 24. The Bible says, If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which, has, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." You, listen to this statement, you were created to become like Christ. You were created to come, become like Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this statement. And may we, as we move through the message today, be reminded of what we have been created for. And let your Holy Spirit touch every heart. 
May we no longer be complacent Christians. May we no longer be just born-again believers, but may we be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in His name I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. You see, the supreme goal of a born-again believer is to become what God created them to be. And, and, and listen, you'll never become God. That's not what this is saying. And, 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 and you see, that's, that's really that devil. He, that was his temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you'll be as gods. See, see, many religions today say, well, you know, uh, uh, you, you, can, you, you really have a God within you, or you're your own, uh, you're your own God. Uh, and, and somehow this desire to be a God is, is just part of that natural, carnal state that we are born into. And so we try to do that. We try to be gods, don't we? I mean, we try, to, we try to control our circumstances. We try to control other people around us. We try to control our future. Uh, but as, as, as creatures, we will never be the creator. Now, God doesn't want you to become a god. He wants you to become godly. He wants you to become godly. Uh, that is to take on his values and his attitude and his character. You will never be him. That's not what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be who you are in him with his values, attitude, and character. Rick Warren said this, God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. And whenever we're looking at this whole idea of discipleship, it really is about becoming, uh, having character development. It is developing the character of God, the God who has saved us, the God who has put His Holy Spirit in us. And we begin uh, there to be this new work of God, and, and our life should be spent in trying to be uh, trying to become the best we can be uh, in the Lord. You see, God wants everybody to grow up spiritually. Now, uh, nothing hindering you outside of death, you're probably going to grow up physically. Uh, some, sometimes there's difficulty in that with children. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but the idea is God wants you to grow up. Uh, he wants you to mature as a believer. And, and maturing as a believer doesn't necessarily mean getting older as a human being, because you can be old as a human being and not be mature as a believer. So God created you in your own uniqueness, uh, and He certainly doesn't want to destroy that, but He wants you to be transformed, become Christ-like in Him. So let's look at this thing of discipleship and see if we can't be helped by that. First of all, I'll just ask the simple question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And a disciple can be defined as this. It means a learner, a pupil, one who follows another's teaching. Uh, so you can, you can be a learner. You can be a, uh, a disciple of, of anyone. I mean, you can just pick out who you want to be a disciple of. And uh, you can choose God Almighty or you can go out in the world and choose a human being. But uh, uh, that's what disciple literally means. But now for our understanding, we're thinking about being a disciple, a learner, a pupil of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a disciple was not only a learner, but he was also an adherent. He was a supporter. He was a devoted follower. Devoted follower. These disciples were with Jesus for three 
years. We also know that there's disciples of false teachers in the Bible. We find them. And we also know that there were disciples of John the Baptist. And those, some of those disciples of John the Baptist started following Jesus and became his disciple when they realized uh, and were told by John, of course, that he was uh, the Messiah. So a disciple uh, is a devoted follower. It doesn't just mean uh, you're learning. It also means that you are following. You're putting that into practice. A disciple is a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture who practices the lifestyle that that requires. And then thirdly, here's this word, mentor. They mentor others to do the same. Jesus said, go make disciples. Basically, he said to the twelve, you're already disciples. Now you go make some more disciples. So discipleship is really about multiplication. It's about the multiplication of the family of God. And so for this reason... Uh, disciples were spoken of as being imitators of their teachers. Uh, early, early Christians, and uh, uh, maybe, you, maybe you've recognized this in reading Scripture, Christians did not name themselves. <laughs> we, did, we did not name ourselves Christians. We were, we, were, we were named this by the Gentiles who were unbelievers in the city of Antioch, the Bible tells us. The Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. And the word Christian, uh, in its purest form, means little Christ, or imitators of Christ. And so when you call yourself a Christian, you're, not just, you're really not describing your morality so much, or you're not really describing uh, 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 some other things about you, but you are describing the fact that you are living a life like Christ. And that's where I say we've got that word Christian all mixed up, because there are many American Christians, American Christian uh, Christianity, that they are not following uh, the morals of Scripture, yet they say that they are Christians. And so uh, that gets a lot of people confused. Uh, Paul, who was a disciple, uh, and he was also a mentor and made other disciples, he, he made this statement in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Well, that was audacious when it imitate me. Paul says to his church, you imitate me. You do what I'm doing. Hmm. That's pretty strong language. And, and then in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, I'm writing to you. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. See, they're the child. He's the adult, basically, in this scenario. Even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. How many of you are so living, living so close to Jesus that you'd be willing to go over to your neighbor's house and say, I want to tell you something. You better start imitating me. <laughs> Get that door slammed in your face right quick, wouldn't you? But really, shouldn't we be living a life so Christ-like that we could say, or at least it could be implied, if you want to know what it is to follow Jesus, then just do the things that I do. Well, that's a disciple. What does it cost to be a disciple? What does it cost to be a disciple? Well, you must first put first uh, put Christ first. You must put Jesus first. Jesus said, "If anyone who comes after me does not 
uh, hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is telling me that I must hate. And it's not the kind of hate with viciousness to, to see death come. It's not that kind of hate. But it's rather putting things in a priority uh, list and putting things in a priority organization. So Jesus is saying, you must put me first in order to be my disciple. You can't put your parents first. You can't put uh, your other friends first. You can't put your children, your relatives first. You've got to put me first. Even before one's own self. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. Now, tell that to our culture. Tell that to our culture who says you can have it all. Tell that to our culture who says you deserve the best. Tell that to our culture which is constantly raising up the individual and saying you deserve a break today. You deserve this. And don't we say that sometimes when there's just this one particular thing that we like, whether it may be that new set of golf clubs or that new fishing pole or maybe that new whatever you lay, oh, clothes, yeah, be clothes, shoes, purses, you know. That, well, you know, I've been working pretty hard, and I really deserve this. I deserve this for myself, you know. What profit is it if a man should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's a cost in being a disciple. Remember, Peter, James, and John, what did they do? They left their fishing boat. They, they left their livelihood. They left their families. And for three years, they followed Christ. And they never did go back. Secondly, you must be willing to suffer for Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, it's like I heard that fellow say, you know, I, I got this old ingrown toenail. I guess I'm just bearing my cross, you know. I got this cross to bear. That's not what he's talking about. Bearing a cross is not talking about your physical ailments. Bearing a cross is talking about walking the walk of Christ. And by the way, where did the walk of Christ take him? Well, it took him right up Calvary to where there was a cross, a wooden cross waiting for him. And there he was nailed and crucified for the sins of the whole world. You see, whenever it talks about taking up his cross, it talks about the idea of death. Are you willing to deny yourself to the point of death to follow him? That really is discipleship. And, you know, folks, we are just such a long way from that in most of our lives. Trying to live a godly life in this ungodly world. But 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and by the way church you better be <laughs> you better be getting getting ready I mean whatever it takes you I mean you know you may be you need to suck it in buckle it up whatever it takes because we're headed for it we're headed for it now I, I I'm not a prophet I'm not the son of a prophet but I mean anybody with any kind of reasoning eyes looking at where we are in our nation and where we are in our world Christianity Real Christianity is in for it, and we better get ready for that. We better be willing now to pay the cost because there is going to be a cost that's going to be required of us. In fact, we're going to lose our friends, 
some of our friends. We may lose some of our money, may lose all our money. We may even lose our freedom. But are you willing? For a disciple of Christ is willing to deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Otherwise, he says, Jesus says this in Luke 14, 27, you cannot be my disciple. So it's not a matter what the preacher says. It's not a matter what mom and daddy says. It's not a matter of what somebody on television says. It's a matter of what Jesus says and what the Bible says. And we are to be his disciple. In order to be his disciple, we have to listen to what he says. Thirdly, you must forsake all to follow Jesus. Have you counted that cost of following Jesus? Say, well, preacher, I'm already saved. I've started on the road. All right, buddy, let's go then. But let's see what that takes, you know. I mean, Jesus gave that illustration. He talked about the fellow sitting down to build a tower. He said, does not he count the cost of what it's going to be before he builds a tower? Or that king that's getting ready to go out into battle, does he not count the cost? of? Does he have enough men in his army to face the other army that's coming? There is a cost in that. And we must be willing to forsake everything in order to follow him. We must put it all on the line. So likewise, he said, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Is everything that you have belong to God? Or are there some things that you have held out on God? You say, well, God, you can have this part of my life. God, you can have this part of my life. Oh, but God, this right here. Oh, I cherish this. This is mine. And Jesus says, if you don't forsake it all, then you're not his disciple. In other words, Jesus must be king of kings. He must be Lord of Lord. And if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Nothing can take precedence over him and his will for us. Now this is the cost of discipleship. And Jesus wasn't trying to draw a crowd. He drew crowds, yes. But that was not Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent was not in drawing a crowd, although he attracted large crowds. But his intent was making disciples. And you've got to decide whether or not you want to be willing to pay that price. Have you decided to follow Jesus? We sang this song back in the country church where I was raised up. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. Where the flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere He leads me. I would follow, follow on. Walking in His footsteps till the crown be won. That was a pleasant walk. The second walk in the second verse. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. Where the storms are sweeping and the dark waters flow. With His hand to lead me I will never, never fear. Dangers cannot fright me if my Lord is near. Down in the valley or upon the mountain steep. Close beside my Savior would my soul ever keep. He will lead me safely in the path that He has trod. Up to where they gather on the hills of God. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. One of the modern day songs that we sing, which is not so modern day, but it is a newer song, and it is, I have decided to follow Jesus. Sitting around the campfire in youth group, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that song. 
Though none go with me, I still will follow. I've decided to follow Jesus. And then that refrain, no turning back. No turning back. What are the stages of a disciple? Uh, Christians uh, or disciples, it's, it's like the human body. Uh, the human body is designed to grow. Mine hadn't stopped growing, and I, 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 I think I'm going to have to put a cork right here to get it to stop growing. But, you know, as, as human beings, we, we are designed to grow. I mean, take look at a little baby right here. Oh, so cute. And she got a bottle and milk, and, and that's exactly where she needs to be because that's where she is in her stage of development. Now, some of you back there, you know, you're, you're steak and potato now. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't suck a bottle no more or... Most of the time you don't. But anyway, uh, what are the stages of a disciple? Uh, you see, whenever a Christian, we, we just use this good word Christian, looking at it from a, from a positive standpoint, when a Christian becomes stagnant in their growth in the Lord, something's wrong. If this baby stopped growing, and they're taking this baby to the doctor probably about every six months or so, and they're measuring the baby, and they're weighing the baby, and they're making sure the baby's growing. And one church that I pastored, we had a baby that didn't grow. It wasn't growing, and, you know, still didn't become a very large adult. But there was a problem there. There was a medical problem there because the baby wasn't growing. Now, if we're newborn babes in Christ, we need to grow. And, and if we're not growing, that means that something is wrong. Something is drastically wrong. John used a human growth pattern in 1 John 2, 12 to 14 to describe the stages of spiritual growth. Now, you, you get on the Internet, and you can find all kinds of stages of discipleship development. And some of them have got five stages, some of them have six stages, some of them have seven stages. Charles, uh, Charles Stanley, he's probably got 15 stages because, I mean, that's just Charles Stanley. But anyway, he's a great brother, you know. So, so that, what, what I really want you to see is that there are stages in discipleship. There, and, and, and this is John's model, 1 John 2, 14. Let me just read it to you. I write to you, little children. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've, been, you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says again, I write to you, little children, because you've known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you've overcome the wicked one. Three stages. The new disciple, which is the little children. As we and 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 as you talked about Dylan, who just got saved this week, he's he's a he's a newborn babe in Christ. That's what he is. And so you know anybody who gets saved right there, you're a newborn babe in Christ. And then the young disciple or the young men, stage two. Well, then that's your that's your growth as you move out of that baby stage, child stage. You move into a young adult stage. And then stage three, mature, uh, mature and mobilized uh, disciples uh, or, or fathers, we would look at that as being there. And so John, out of his own mouth, talks to us about these three stages. And each stage has its unique needs. It has its special opportunities. doesn't mean that you are less of a believer in that stage. The problem is whenever we get stuck in a stage and we don't move on to maturity, in Corinth, Paul encountered a failure to mature. 
And he observed there, if you, if you read 1 Corinthians, you see that there was division among them. They were fighting. They couldn't get along with one another. And he said, y'all are acting like a bunch of kids. In other words, you may be saved, but you're not acting like mature disciples. You're not even acting like young disciples. You're acting like a bunch of kids. And here's what he said. Brethren, I couldn't speak to you as a spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still worldly. Did you know that infant believers will still act like the world? I mean, you just kind of expect it because they have not grown enough in Christ. They're still going to have some worldly ideas. There's still going to be some sin in their life that's pretty obvious. But as you mature in Christ, those things are to go away. Just as you mature physically and you give up the bottle and, and, and the pacifier and the rattler uh, and you move on uh, to something else. The author of Hebrews was disappointed in the growth of his readers. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So church, we have, we have to think about that in, in retrospect to who we are as a church. Do we, where, where, where is our... Where is our uh, uh, Where's the largest amount of people leaning? Do we, have, do we have a large group of mature mentoring disciples? Uh, do we have a large group of little children? Uh, where, where is our, where is our uh, numbers? Where's our percentage-wise as to who we are as a church? Because that's going to say a whole lot about the kind of pastor that you need to pastor you. That's going to say a whole lot about what you see as the future of your church and what you see as the high priorities of your church. Those are things you must think about. And then what is the evidence of a disciple? Evidence of a disciple is that you abide in Jesus' word. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. And, and so many times we have, we, have, we have, you know, you give this talk to your, to your kids or your teenagers, you give them this lecture, you know, and, and you tell them, but then they go out and do right the opposite of what you told them to do. <laughs> well, you know, Jesus has that problem with us. <laughs> I mean, he, he tells us what to do, and then we go right out and do the opposite of what he tells us to do. And that shows that we have a lack of maturity. Jesus said, don't be like that builder who heard the word and didn't do anything about it, went out and built his house. It's like building on sand. He says, but rather be like that fellow who heard the word and put it into practice. He's the dude that built the house on the rock. And when the storms came, the floods came, his house stood fast. And then secondly, you are to love one another. That's an evidence of being the disciple. Jesus said, a new commandment that I give unto you to love one another as I have loved you. You love one another. You will know by your love that you are my disciple do you have love so oh, yeah i have love what is love love is more than just a fleeting feeling isn't it love is emotion love is action do you have love love is shown between people in action 
A disciple will make his love visible to the whole world. Thirdly, you bear much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. Notice the word much. John 15, 8, the word much. Jesus is not talking about an occasional good deed to feed your ego. Sometimes we get, well, I need to do something good for God. I hadn't done anything good for him in a while. No, <laughs> your fruit needs to be uh, being produced on a daily basis. As you're taking up that cross daily, you're also bearing that fruit daily. For Jesus also said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works, your fruit, and glorify me, glorify your Father which is in heaven. So listen, being a disciple of Jesus means more than just being a casual church member. means more than being a casual church member. I mean, this, this has got some bite to it. If you really want to be a disciple of Christ, it has bite to it. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And, 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 uh, and it's going to be seen if you truly are. It's going to be obvious that you truly are His disciple. So, let me go to the next one. What is the goal of a disciple? Uh, to be a disciple of Jesus is to strive to be like Him. Uh, Jesus, Jesus say, stated this Himself in Luke 6.40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. When we become the mature, mobilized disciples that Jesus wants us to be, we will be like Jesus. We will not be gods, but our character will be that that resembles the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, to make other disciples. You want to strive to be like Him, and then secondly, to make other disciples. Discipleship is the process of becoming, being, and making other disciples. And listen, church, we fail to make disciples. We fail as individuals before the Lord, and we fail as a church because this is what God had called us to do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. As a disciple maker, our role is to help the disciple mature and grow from one stage to another. Now, I want to say, first of all, that happens in your home. I know this is Father's Day, but I speak equally to fathers as well as I do to mothers when it comes to discipleship in the home. That's where it starts. That's where discipleship starts. That's where you start telling your kids about Jesus. Don't, first of all, thank God for the church, but don't expect the church to disciple your children. Don't, don't expect that alone. I mean, that's a good support and a good supplement, but the home is the place that the child is to be Disciple. You go to Deuteronomy. I mean, even before Jesus came to earth. The Bible says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The responsibility of born-again believer parents is to disciple their children. Our children are like plants. I mean, they're kind of like those cucumbers we got planted in the garden. You go out there one day and they're about that big around. 
You go out there the next day and it doesn't climb all over the fence and everywhere. I mean, they just grow so fast, don't they? I mean, that's the way plants do. Plants grow fast, and our kids do too. You know, I still think of my my kids. They're forty. You know, I think of them as still being you know like eight years old. You know, it's just hard to believe that they already have kids of their own, but they grow quickly, and there are lots of things. There's the majority of things out there in the world that wants to destroy your kids. And they want to destroy your family. And you know we can lose our kids to the world without even trying. We don't even have to try to do that. Because the world is right there. I've heard parents say, well, I don't, I'll tell you, I don't, I, I, I don't talk much about church and God to my kids. You know, I don't want to indoctrinate them. You know, I want, I want them to grow up. And when, they, when they get old enough, I want them to make a decision all their own. You don't do that in public school. You don't do that with math and English. You don't let them grow up all their own. and They become a bunch of blah, 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 you know, bubble kind of, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. You want them to learn, and so you make sure they're instructed in a public school or, or a private school so that they have that instruction. But when it comes to the things of God, you're just going to let the... You know, if you don't indoctrinate your children, the world is going to indoctrinate your children. And by the way, they're doing that so rapidly now. <laughs> I, I, it, it, I don't have words to even explain how quickly... This is happening. An 18-year-old is unthankful and rebellious, walks around like the family is the enemy, has been enslaved and abused by them his whole life. <laughs> We've not seen that scenario. Even kids raised in a home where you take them to church. For you see... Taking them to church will not disciple them completely. They can get some, and thank God for Sunday school teachers who will invest in children. But I, please hear me, folks. It is in that home, that home of that young family, where that child from infancy must be taught the things of God. In most respects, what we have done is raised up a generation and turned them out into the world. And although they had a Christian, say, upbringing, they are not prepared for what they face. They're not prepared for the professors in the university. Uh, they're not prepared uh, uh, for the false teachers on campus. They're not prepared for even their peers who come at them with all kinds of ideologies. They're not prepared because they're not grounded in the Word of God. They have not been discipled in the Word of God. They've been saved, yeah, and, and it's great, and they're going to go to heaven, but they're going to have a hard time in the next 30 or 40 years living out their Christian life because they don't have the fundamentals of being a disciple of Christ. And let me just tell you, not just Panther Creek Baptist Church, but Cross Point Baptist Church, Bellevue, you go to any church, we had better start as parents understanding that, making it happen in the home and also making it happen in the church. If not, 
the end is going to come much, much quicker. Our children are not lost to the world overnight, but because we're not intentional with our discipleship within the home. Pastors Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin have suggested three areas of concentration. Time, moments, and milestones. Time, moments, and milestones. And you can do this with your grandchildren if the kids are already out of the house. Time, moments, and milestones. Take those special times that you have and show how that special time includes uh, God. Has God specifically working within that? Many churches today are looking around and seeing a generation or two missing, and that's something we're facing in all of our churches within America. They've already seen that happen overseas. And if you want to see what America is going to look like in another 15 or 20 years, if something doesn't change, and I don't be a doomsday prophet or anything like that, but I'm just telling the truth, you need to look at what's happened to the churches in Europe, and then you will know what's going to happen to the churches here. But that, see, the thing is, our God is a mighty God, and there's nothing impossible with God. So if we get off of our do-nothings and start doing something, we can make this thing turn around. But God has to have us. He has to have us first. And if He hasn't got us, then He can't do much about it. He wants to work through you and through me. What good will it do our kids if they have everything they need but do not know their Savior. And then being a discipleship in your church. Titus 2, 1 to 8. He says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, nor given much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste and homemakers and good and obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that they cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So within that context of, of who we are as a church, that the older pass on to the younger the wisdom that they have learned and the wisdom that they are now living out and it's very obvious that they're living that out and that's why the younger then will have something to hold on to as they face obstacles and then as they grow up they will pass that on to their children years ago we had something called BYPU <laughs> y'all remember BYPU you remember training union you remember discipleship training? We had that in our church. I learned a lot about that growing up as a, as a kid. We had it in our church, and it was very beneficial uh, for me in my Christian walk as well as, as later on becoming a pastor. But you know what we did? We got lazy in discipleship training. And even though we had it, somebody would read the lesson out of the book. And it got so boring that nobody wanted to come and finally said, well, we can do just as well without it. And so churches did away with discipleship training. The very thing that we really needed 
we did away with. Discipleship in the church is more than acknowledging the Bible and it's more than knowing facts about the Bible. It is learning a biblical worldview and that's what is lacking among Christians today is a biblical worldview because Christians, American Christians, have bought into the Oprah Winfrey effect. And that does not produce disciples of Christ. In your world, you need to be a disciple. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's why not only in the home, not only in the church, but everywhere we are. Let me give you this statement. Everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Everyone needs a Paul. We all need someone that we can look up to for godly wisdom. We need that mature adult in our life who has fought the good fight, <laughs> coming close to finishing the race, you know. We need that kind of person. Every one of us do. I don't care how old you are. You need that kind of person in your life. Every one of us needs a Barnabas. We need an associate beside of us who's going through the things that we're going through. We need someone to encourage us. This is discipleship making I'm talking about. We need someone who knows more than we do to feed into us. We need someone walking alongside of us to encourage us as we go. And then we need a Timothy. We need someone that we can feed into. We need someone that we can bring along as we go along everyone needs a mentor an associate and an apprentice and by the way when you look at timothy's life isn't it amazing when you think about his life that before he met paul who would later be his mentor he had a grandma and a mama who were faithful to the lord jesus and they instilled in timothy this love for jesus and love for god as his mentors when he was in the home. What are the rewards of being a disciple? I'll be done. The daily edification and sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Every home could use a little improvement in cleaning. And our lives are no different. Our lives need improvement. And the benefits and rewards of being a disciple of Christ is that as you're in the Word and as you have a mentor feeding into you, you are built up and you are cleansed and you become the child of God that God wants you to be. Secondly is the rewarding participation in the spiritual growth of others. Aren't you glad when you look at someone usually younger than you are and you see them making a right decision? Doesn't that excite you? I mean, you just say, man, that was the right thing. I'm so proud of them for making that decision. It is rewarding as we participate in the spiritual growth of others. That should urge you on. And then thirdly, the joyful anticipation of eternity with God. Now, we all read that scripture and we all think about it, but have you really applied it to you? That one day we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And, and, and as those stewards went out and invested, and they came back, you know, the master came back, and two of them, you know, they had done good, and then the one had buried it, you know. But, but those two that did good, he said he, those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
And I, I know we, we, have, we have just a, uh, maybe enough, enough pride. We have just enough ego that we all want to hear Jesus tell us that. But will he say that to all? Can he really say that to all? Can he go against his own character? He cannot lie. Will that be said to you? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been such a great disciple of mine. You have learned from the best and you've applied it to your life and then you have instilled that wonderful word in the lives of others. Here's a, something difficult to wrap our minds around. If you make disciples, you will always get the church. If you make disciples, you will always get the church. But if you make a church, you will rarely get disciples. Now, the shiny thing is, let's build a big church. Not just a big building, but let's build a big church. Let's bring in the high-dollar speaker and the high-intense music and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and let's just build a huge church. And you've got someone who is spiritually... Ten mile wide and a quarter of an inch deep. You've built a church, but you don't have any disciples. But if you build disciples, people who are willing to count the cost, pay the cost, deny themselves, and take up the cross, if you make disciples, then the church will 